This is official episode one, and we're going to talk about simple syrups from our certified spirit specialist, Nikki Lyons, Mother's Day and what you should do about it, <laughs> and what else happens around that day, uh, as well as answer some of our questions um, from friends on Facebook. So I want to start off with a few introductions. My name is Caroline. Um, I have an ecology degree. I've been gardening since I was six, and I end up answering all my friends garden questions and planning things with them. So I thought, why not turn this into a podcast? I have a blog that I've been writing for a little while, but I'm going to shift it to be more relevant to lifestyles that our friends are really into involving food, drinks, grilling, curb appeal, growing food in your backyard. Can I I say food a third time? I'm going to grow food. uh, But (laughs) (laughs) also what stuff is really relevant? relevant to people who live up here in the Great White North area. So we're covering areas like uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North and South Dakota, and sometimes we'll even throw in some Iowa stuff. Um, Joining me in this endeavor is my friend Dan Hudson. That is me. I am Dan. And I am the man. Uh, I also have an ecology degree and I've been gardening, um, doing volunteer uh, gardening stuff with the University of Minnesota Extension Master Gardeners Program. Uh, I also did some uh, like greenhouse horticulture um, school a little bit ago. But yeah, I'm also into growing plants. I like eating plants. I like uh, smelling plants that have good smells. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, yeah, and I'm here to contribute. Dan also brews beer and uses some cool herbal uh, additions. <laughs> <laughs> like chamomile, I mean. Wink. Keep it, keep it PG, Randy. <laughs> Wink. Um, as speaking of drinks, this is our friend Nikki Lyons. Tell us about yourself and your certification. Hey, everyone. I am here as a certified spirit specialist. Um, a little bit of background. I have a philosophy degree. I know very little about plants, how to grow them, anything with that. But once once you kind of get them out of your garden, I know a lot about what to do with them. I've worked, as I said, I have a philosophy degree, so I've worked in the liquor industry for about the past 12 years or so. And, um, yep, one of my new passions is just kind of learning everything I can about cocktails and finding an excuse to make a bunch of stuff for people and, yep, try out different flavors and challenge myself. I love it. Uh, we have a special guest today, my good friend, Dewey Voo. Hey, everyone. <laughs> they promised me booze and veggies. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so my background's in graphic design and UX design. Um, I've worked restaurants my whole life, um, and I love to cook. So uh, it just made sense. Yeah, Dewey has made me some bomb food. If you know what a sous vide is, then you know that Dewey's way up there in the technique department with food, which is super rad. Um, And then uh, I'm going to give a shout out to our buddy, our sound guy, Mr. Randy. Hey. (laughs) That was anticlimactic. That's all I got, really. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Love you all. Randy's got a background in uh, public broadcasting. Yeah, no, uh, for the first real episode, I am from Vermont. Uh, Last five years lived in Vermont, originally from the Midwest, but I've worked in public broadcasting pretty much my entire professional career, starting in radio and PBS in South Dakota and to television in Vermont. Uh, And now I'm here in a much better endeavor, working for more community-focused things, 
specifically within my own friend community. Yay! And I'm going to exploit that. Thanks, Randy. <laughs> it doesn't make much of a difference anyway. Uh, <laughs> so at this point in the project, we are all volunteers. Nobody is getting paid, but we do drink while we record these episodes, which makes things go easier. So <laughs> with that, I'm going to hand it off to Nikki. Tell us about what you brought for us to work with today. All right. So I brought one of my favorite cocktails for you guys. It's called a Paloma. That's made with tequila. A lot of people, what I hear all the time is, don't drink tequila, bad experience. I would say you've just never had good tequila. You're doing Absolutely. it wrong. Yes, yep, and <laughs> kind of gets into one of my main passions with cocktails, is just using real ingredients. See all the stuff going around about you know, eating organic, gluten-free, everyone obsessed over what they're eating. Then they'll just turn around and you know throw a kind of heavy preservative cocktail mixer into a drink and just call it a day so don't half-ass it on your cocktail mixers guys yep yep it's one place you don't want to skimp and it's pretty easy not to because all you have to do is you just need a little bit of citrus juice sugar and some sort of alcohol and there you go that's pretty much a basic recipe for 90 percent of cocktails that are out there (laughs) and so pretty much everything i will be doing is some sort of twist on that so essentially it's as you find something in the garden um as i said i really know nothing about plants i just kind of know what shows up and what's on sale at the grocery store I assume is in season or kind of getting to the end of the season and take that sit down and try to figure out how to make it tasty with something else so I love it yeah so a little bit of this cocktail I have here it essentially breaks down to tequila uh, simple syrup and fresh grapefruit juice and a little bit of fresh lime juice as well so the really main flavor coming out is grapefruit um, no additions really as I look outside it's snowing not much is growing and so as, as we kind of get into this in Minnesota you know kind of start off with thought this would be a good time to teach kind of the basics of it and then we'll kind of go from there for experimenting so um, what I like to do when I have kind of big groups is batch out a cocktail okay so you don't have to make individual ones every time son of a batch yeah so yeah <laughs> um, so yeah, essentially you start off, you figure out, you know, with anything you're doing, I would say experiment, taste, you know, figure out what you like, whatever is good for cocktails, what you like. And that's what it kind of comes down to. You want to make something kind of appealing to a crowd when you're serving a crowd. But, um, so what you want to do is so figure out the portions of what would make a single cocktail. So this is one where it kind of goes with the classic um, proportions of two parts strong spirit to one part citrus to one part um, sugar. So for the sugar part, I use simple syrup, which is essentially you dissolve equal parts of sugar into water. Okay. And heat it up. You never want to get it to a boil. Just you want to kind of get the water slightly heated, put the sugar in, let it dissolve. And there you go. You have simple syrup. Pretty much one of the easiest things to do. And then as you kind of, one of my favorite things to do is you kind of find things that are growing, you know, coming out of your garden, you throw those in while you're kind of making that simple syrup. Oh, yeah. Then you have flavored syrups. And in, so infuse it a little. Yep. Yep. Nice. So pretty much a lot of them be doing is flavored syrups, figuring out what spirit to tie them with, what, what citrus juice, what kind of other things like that. And you're good to go. So once you figure out those proportions, um, you kind of just make a bigger batch of them, pour it into a bottle. And here we go. So I'm going to start off with kind of pouring around my initial mix, which is going to be um, two parts tequila, um, one part of simple syrup, one part fresh grapefruit juice, and about quarter part of fresh lime juice. Okay. I really love lime. It is one of the best things. Though I usually prefer lemon. So for those of you out in the radio land, this is a really beautiful peachy colored liquid. And as you can hear my very clumsy pouring, I am not the most coordinated person. But. <laughs> so 
as I have never really bartended, so I'm not very good at making things look pretty in presentation, but I am good, getting pretty good at making them taste good. So now, as we start off with that, uh, one of the things that kind of sets a plum apart is it's actually essentially tequila and grapefruit soda. So what we're doing right now is making our own grapefruit soda. So you have our simple syrup for the sugar, you got your citrus with the grapefruit juice, and then now you want to add just a little bit of club soda, and you have your own homemade grapefruit soda. Awesome. You can serve it without tequila, but that, that'd be kind of a little, little silly to do. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And yeah, as I said, I chose tequila also because I am leaving for Mexico uh, Wednesday morning, and that's about all I can think of right now. Oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> so jealous. And we're getting close to Cinco de Mayo, so it seemed pretty festive. Where in Mexico are you going? Uh... Riviera Maya. Riviera Maya. Do you have any favorite types of tequila you like to go for? Um, yeah, quite a few. So I like tequilas that are um, going to be 100% blue agave. Normally, I don't say, you know, you have to have single malt scotch or age statements, things like that. But with tequila, that's the one thing that makes it, makes a difference is you want something that is without a doubt 100% blue agave. Because otherwise, essentially, you're going to almost have a sugar-based vodka. And so I'll start with that. Um, you know, I kind of lately have been more of a purist with it. So I like uh, tequila that's been not an unaged tequila, which is called a silver or a plata. Okay. Because really what you're getting is a flavor of agave. Okay. So essentially what tequila is is a spirit that's been distilled from agave. And then we have a few other types where they're aged a little bit. Um, Reposado, which is aged, aged up to a year, and, and Yeho, which is aged one to three years, which are fantastic, but you're getting a lot more of the wood quality. And so it's kind of, I would say, if you're a fan of vodkas, gins, go with the Plata. If you're fans of whiskeys and stuff, go with the Reposado or Yeho. And then once you kind of figure out tequila, then then decide from there. Excellent. I'm so excited. Well, let's let's cheers yes, over this. Yes, try. Yay, yeah. first episode. Mm-hmm. Huzzah! Thank you, everybody, for helping me. Thank you for making us delicious beverages. Yes. A long line of free drinks for this episode. <laughs> That's Dan stirring with his finger, by the way. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, as we do this, I'll try, start to remember to bring all the little accessories, so straws that have been great for stirring and oh. drinking this, but so you might get a little soda water on the top, but... Oh, it tastes great. I really like that. That's really good. Yeah. I love grapefruit. And so, yeah, it's a very simple way to do a cocktail if you're having, like, a big, you know, bunch of people over for a barbecue or something. You know, if you just kind of make a batch of it, and this one you're adding a little bit of club soda on the top, and there you go. Awesome. Now, where did you get your grapefruit? Did you get actual fruit, or do you do, like, a, like a fruit juice that you um, can get in, like, a jug or something? Normally, I'll get, like, actual fruit, especially for lemons and limes. Um, grapefruit juice is a little bit more tricky to work with. Um, so then, essentially, I'll try to find some sort of juice, 100% grapefruit, no sugar added nothing like that no so yeah yeah cool. and so yeah that's kind of the way to go so as i said you know probably get kind of more in depth with this but yeah grapefruit juice is one of the more tricky ones to work with because it turns pretty quickly like it's probably you know good and bad thing with citrus juice is you usually have max 24 hours with it um mm-hmm. so yeah but lemons and limes i always get fresh lemons or limes squeeze them and that, that makes all the difference this is delicious is there anything you would garnish this with at all? Um, you could kind of go with 
pretty much anything that pairs up with grapefruit. Like one of my, I would say you don't need a cookbook if you have this one book called the Flavor Bible, where I just, yeah, it's the best, best book ever. Um, so yeah, just kind of look through grapefruit, find something. And we were discussing earlier that rhubarb would be kind of a natural pairing with this. And it's funny, it came up today because it came up a couple days ago as well with someone who were talking about making a rhubarb syrup to pair with a certain tequila. So that may be the kind of next one coming up is this same cocktail, but with a twist on it. So oh, that's awesome. I'm yeah. totally going to get you some rhubarb out of my yard and we're going to play with rhubarb syrup. <laughs> awesome. Very excited. Oh man. Thank you so much, Nikki. This is great. Um, so coming up soon is Mother's Day. That is on May 14th. Uh, so what I've done for my mom in the past, uh, we would buy her pretty hanging baskets. And then eventually we would recycle the hanging basket planter. And my dad would take my sister and I to go pick out a bunch of different annuals and stuff. And we'd plant them up for her and give them to her on that day and make pancakes and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, and it was, it was really sweet. I loved it last year because I don't live in the same town as my mom anymore. Um, and now I also have a mother-in-law. So I got some mother's day cards and I put, uh, easy to grow seeds into the card. So, Hey, I love you. I got you these forget me not seeds. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, and a few other really easy to grow things only because, um, I know my mom really likes cut flowers and I know my mom is kind of new to growing things from seeds. So I wanted to set her up for success. Uh, consequently, she tried to start them indoors in seed starter trays and they went great until they were about four inches tall and then they all died. So I need to send her some new things to start. And, uh, you know, I was so excited that she got, ex- she got, you know, all jazzed about starting seeds inside though. Like that's new for my mom and I, I was like, yeah, get it. Go try. It's okay. Um, so what have you done for, for your parents? Friends? You know, uh, I like to, I pretty much every year I'll get my mom some kind of plant, either hanging baskets or stuff to, to plant in the yard. I think there was one year when we didn't, we just kind of got her other stuff and she was not pleased. You know, oh, you no. could see the, you know, grimace. Presentation in her, in her is everything. Yeah. <laughs> There was definitely something she had wanted that we did not give her, and that was plants. So I learned I learned from my mistakes. <laughs> I love that your mom is into plants, though. <laughs> so, Nikki, what do you do for your mom? You know, I wouldn't say I have any sort of tradition. It kind of goes with the flow every year. Um, for a long time, I started getting my mom candle holders and candles. So for a few oh. years, we thought it was real fun to get her every holiday, every occasion, whatever, some sort of candle and candle holder until she got an insane amount and did about people think there was a hoarder or something like that. So sort of switching it up. And so, yep. So, um, yeah, I was just trying to find something just kind of personal and meaningful, things like that. Um, I know one of my mom's favorite birds is hummingbirds. And I had a picture I took recently of a hummingbird, which I somehow captured because they fly really fast and I'm not that great of a photographer, but yeah, yeah, I was like, it's a little blurry, but everything else is very info. So has that nice aperture. There we I was go. Like, I was like, yeah, I feel real Artsy. fancy. So, yeah. So I think I'm going to kind of put one of those into a frame for her and give it to her. And I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. How do you spoil your mom, Dewey? So as of recent, we would just buy her plants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as I love food um, and cooking, my mom is the next level. 
So no matter what I'm trying to cook for her or what I'm doing in the kitchen, she'll steamroll me. She'll walk in and kick me out of her kitchen and take it over herself. So um, a one upper. Yeah, just one upper. <laughs> you know, there's nothing that I can do to please my mom. I guess in the kitchen. So she. Uh, um, so we just buy her plants. That's awesome. Yeah. Spoiler. What do you do, Mr. Mandy? I'm pretty terrible. My mom loves plants, but I really just take her out to eat. I do maybe help out around the yard, like use a little bit of my physical fortitude to help dig stuff, move stuff around for them. That kind of, that kind of thing. Um, Usually I provide food. That's kind of my, what I usually do if I'm not like being a terrible son and dead broke that year. But you're You're too hard on yourself. We'll see about that. (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing that we wanted to bring up that happens around Mother's Day. So we live in Minnesota and we are zoned for something. I think we're for a. I don't quote me, but I think we're for a. So what does your zone mean? Your zone information is going to tell you when to expect the last frost in your part of the world. So there are some things you can plant before the last frost, and then there's a lot of stuff that you really can't plant until after last frost. So in the Twin Cities, in this area, May 15th is the last day that you can uh, expect a frost to happen at some point um, and it's safe to plant warm stuff after that so um, we had a we had a bunch of great questions come to us on Facebook and this ties into a couple of questions our friends asked so Mr. Randy can you pitch us some questions yes I can uh, Kim asks what can I plant right now before it really warms up it's a good question Kim let me respond <laughs> <laughs> So uh, just uh, about a week ago, I was actually planting some vegetables myself uh, right into the ground. There's a lot of, you know, when it comes to vegetables, um, you often see them divided into cool season and warm season vegetables. So cool season vegetables you can plant out prior to your last frost date. Um, Depends on... Um, you know, which vegetable you're growing, uh, when, when to put them out, peas, you are pretty much the earliest that you can, that you can put in. I think the recommendation are the best. (laughs) They're super good. I almost swore to express how much I really love sugar. Um, yeah, I think I was reading, I was reading about that. Out, so yeah, peas you can plant out as soon as the soil is able to be worked at all. So the slick part about having a raised bed garden is your soil warms up a little more because you're above the frost line. So if you're technical difficulty, don't worry about it. Uh, So if you have raised beds and you can start a little earlier, but other things that you can plant ahead of time are things like radishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, some beets. Absolutely. I love beets. <laughs> you can't beat them. <laughs> Lame joke. I'm sorry. Uh, things like Swiss chard. It sounds so fancy. Uh, it has really pretty rainbow stems. Um, 
you can do some kales right now and you can do lots of leafy greens and lettuces, that kind of stuff. So on the back of a seed packet, look and see what it says for sowing, S-O-W, sowing instructions. And it'll say on the back, so indoors this many weeks before last frost. So outdoors directly two weeks before frost or so outdoors after last chance of frost. Any seed packet that says so outdoors after last chance of frost means wait until after Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, all the leafy stuff, all the leaf, most of the leafy stuff, and all the greens like the spinach, kale, oh yeah, Swiss chard, spinach. even like the cauliflower, broccoli, those kind of things too. Probably you can get away with. Sweet. All right. Next. Next question. Miranda asks, "Should I cover up my baby plants in azalea bush for cold weather?" <laughs> All right, so yes, your baby plants should be covered up for frost nights. Uh, watch the internets and the news for when it's going to frost, and you can cover up your baby plants with stuff like sheets, uh, landscaping fabric, if you got it, milk jugs, buckets. The technical term for a plant cover is a cloche, um, and it's, it's that's just a fancy word for like a glass bucket they put over the top of things to protect them <laughs> from frost. Um, but as soon as it's nice enough the next day, take your cloche off so that your plant can breathe and won't mold inside of it. Um, Your azalea bush is really only going to bloom for like a week anyway, and then all the flowers are going to fall off. So that's up to you if you feel like covering it up. I don't know how much it... (laughs) I don't know how much it'll help. (laughs) They are real pretty for that one week. They're very pretty for for one week. Yeah, yeah. So uh, those were kind of our cold season questions, and then we had a bunch of other questions that are... Wonderful participating friends on Facebook asked. So we're going to take a little quick drink break where we're all going to make a lot of jingly sounds. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're ready for our next question, Mr. Randy. Uh, next question. Lindsay asks, how do I fit more edible plants and herbs into my existing landscape without digging everything up? I have daylilies and other random plants around and would like to add to this without starting over. You know, that's a uh, that's a great question. I would say first question is, what do you want to eat? What kinds of uh, what kind of vegetables and herbs do you want to grow? That's pretty much uh, where you start. Then where do you have space? Daylilies oftentimes just kind of sprawl and, and spread all over. So, a blessing and a curse. Yeah. I, I, I would not feel too bad about hacking some of those up and, and putting in a tomato plant or something. You know, if, if, if they're in a, a sunny spot, um, just go for it. Just, uh, you know, put, put some herbs or put some pepper plants or turnips, whatever you want to, whatever you like to eat. Um, just kind of stash them in there. You know, that's, this is, uh, this is your space. So. You should put in what you want to eat. I don't think there's really any rules to it apart from that. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, Lindsay, did you know daylily petals are edible? <laughs> they make any salad look fancy and royal. So feel free to try and taste some of your daylily petals. They're just like a touch fruity and a little bit juicy, but there's a lot of air in the petal structure. Um, of course, if you're not sure it's a daylily, don't eat it. Uh, <laughs> please don't eat anything you don't know what you're eating. Uh, you can always take a flower, you're not sure what it is, to a garden center or take a picture, go online, uh, talk to some extension master gardeners or your local greenhouse and they can help you identify some stuff. But I think, you know, if you have this existing landscape, where do you have bare spots? 
And can you fit some giant planters into those spots? Um, so if you're interested in growing some nightshades, maybe you want to start on the south side of your house and see where you have gaps in your landscape and stick a big planter there. Mm. The bigger, the better. That's a great idea. Um, and stick some uh peppers, eggplants, or little tomatoes into that area. If you're growing in a big bucket or a big planter, you don't have to worry as much about weeding or competing with your existing landscape stuff. You're just going to plop it down where you want it. Um, Pro tip, when you're putting a planter out there, like a big pot or something, start with some fresh soil that you get from your local landscaping store. Don't just dig up dirt that you've got in your yard because then you'll get a ton of little weeds that'll all sprout up in there and then you'll have to go in and pull them out by hand. It'll be very tedious and boring. (laughs) Dan, how do you know this? Uh, It just came to me. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like there's a story Dan's not telling us, but that is okay. Um, So yeah, um, start small though. Like start on one side of your house. Look at that little micro zone, that little microclimate. How much sun do you get? And what kind of food do you even like to eat? You can do planters or you can do straw bale gardening. If you're worried about your soil right up against the house, that kind of stuff, or in your front yard and your landscaping. And I would totally add like architectural vegetables that have cool structures. Like, you know what? Corn is a huge grass, but it's like a tall thriller style plant. Um, You can do cool kales that come in reds and greens and they're curly and they get tall. You harvest from the bottom and you go forward or things like amaranth. You can get really beautiful purple amaranth and you can eat the leaves to make your salad look fancier. And once it blooms and has seeds, those seeds are actually an edible ancient grain. Ooh, fancy. So (laughs) those are all things that you can do. But if you have some pots and planters, you can stick some things into those or add hanging baskets to your patio with some like Rapunzel tomatoes, that kind of stuff. Um, but don't try to grow anything you don't eat. If yeah. you're not really into yeah. herbs, you know, if you want to grow them for the bees and just tuck a bunch of herbs along your existing borders, cool. Um, and if you want to try them out, cool. But don't feel pressured to grow things that you're not really into eating because what's the point then? They just right? go to waste. Yeah. So I feel like we covered that one pretty good. I feel like she's got a good answer. I hope you like that, Lindsay. Let's move on. <laughs> all right. Uh, Gab or Gabby? Uh, does she prefer? It's two B's. She goes by Gab. Gab. All right. Just checking. Uh, Gab with two B's asks, how do I protect my plants from harmful insects without hurting the helpful ones? Gab, could you ask me a more generic question <laughs> for my first podcast? We can't believe you, Gab. Gab, be specific. Be specific. Um, <laughs> Gab, I'm going to say I love the fact that you're worried about your good insects and your bad insects. That's kind of a situational answer. So most insects are only going to affect one or two types of plants in your yard. Um, There's not a blanket cure-all for all bugs that are bad and promote all bugs that are good. That works better than diversity in your own gardening observing your yard to see what damage as it starts to happen and a little hands-on time. 
Your hands are the best tool. So I'm going to just go through some of the common pests that we face in this part of the world to hopefully shoot some of your answers. <laughs> so this is a bunch of different pests and how you can handle them. For instance, Asian beetles. Go ahead and pick them off, throw them in a baggie of soapy water. Don't crush them because they release a pheromone that might attract more Asian beetles, compounding your issue. Those are bugs that like to affect things like roses. Um, other beetles, slugs, tomato hornworms, uh, go ahead and throw them away in a sealed container in your garbage or squish them or feed them to your lizard, whatever makes you happy. Aphids, go ahead and squish them right on the stem or if you see eggs on your plants, uh, on the underside of your leaves or your veggies, smush them or take them off with duct tape. I've heard that's a really excellent method. I'm going to try that with squash beetles this year. You know what? I will sneak in here a uh, interesting tip. If you go to a local gardening store or hydroponic store, sometimes they'll have ladybug larvae and those larvae will go to town on aphids. If you have like a really bad aphid problem, ladybug larvae are the way to go. That's pretty awesome. I like I like the fact that you can kind of watch them turn into ladybugs, too. Um, so aphids, you can also blast off of your plants with, like, a really strong nozzle. Um, okay, so aphids, blast them off, smush them, get some ladybugs to eat them, whatever. Um, some, uh, some pests like leaf miners uh, will affect your Swiss chard and your kales and your other leafy green plants. I'll pick those off, and honestly, I've microwave those mother back to hell because I, I want to kill them dead um but throw anything any contaminated leaves or any nasty bugs throw them away in a sealed like yeah. a ziploc or a tied shut bag in your trash don't throw that stuff in your compost bin yeah. because things might finish maturing and then just lay more eggs and exacerbate your problem um some crops do well with agricultural fleece or a little cover over it like uh carrot flies can sometimes be a problem to people cabbage moths can be a problem to people or squash bugs if you don't already have them in your dirt if you use a little agricultural fleece it's supposed to help keep the adults from laying eggs on your plant but if you have them in your soil because you've been planting squash in the same plant for five years then you're hosed so <laughs> you need to rotate your crops that is that's a, a good idea rotate your crops um, because some insects have that life cycle stage that goes dormant in your soil for a while um, a lot of we're going to switch it away from food a little bit so a lot of native species of plants are resistant to native pests um, invasive pests your native stuff is still going to have a tough time with but the stronger the plants you can choose to grow you're hedging your bets um, and the more diverse you grow you're also hedging your bets because a lot of your pests aren't going to affect every single plant in your yard I also like to use a bird bath to affect to uh, affect uh, I mean attract beneficial predators like birds and I leave some helpful predators in my yard alone so I leave stuff like spiders wasps toads and frogs ladybugs garter snakes I leave that stuff alone in my yard because they're gonna eat a bunch of stuff that drives me crazy um, they're gonna be attracted to the fact that you have a bunch of stuff 
Um, when all else fails, go ahead and ask an es- expert. Get a picture of your plant and the damage that you're seeing. And if you can get a picture of the culprit behind any cause of the damage, you can take that picture and email your local university's extension office. Uh, you can try and call them or and talk to local master gardeners. A lot of times they'll hang out at farmer's markets. Um And you can also go to local garden centers. Um, Having some pictures like that and having some clues like that will also help you do some Google sleuthing because we are millennials and we love the Google sleuthing. But please remember that even professional farmers, whether they're conventional or organic, lose a significant amount of food to pests and bugs every year, no matter what chemicals or non-chemicals they use. Um, So plant a little more than you think you need and plan on a little bit of loss and plant things that are tough when you can. That's pretty solid advice. Holly smokes. <laughs> <laughs> so a well-researched Gab, answer. Thank you for your question, Gab. But be a little more specific in the future. Um, let's move on to our next question. Our next question is: Shauna asks, "Any good recipes for homemade, safe weed killer and and to prevent them?" Uh, no. The answer is no. <laughs> We're blunt. <laughs> um, Doesn't exist. That's magic. It's a fairy tale. Most of the homemade uh, safe weed killer recipes are pretty much bogus. Uh, the best way to get rid of a weed problem is to address the conditions in that area or that site that are allowing the weeds to outcompete your grass or whatever else you've got growing. So if you've got a spot in your lawn that, you know, maybe you've got creeping Charlie in there or something and it's kind of taken over and it looks really bad and you really wish your grass was was doing better there that you didn't have any creeping Charlie. It's not just about killing the creeping Charlie because if you just kill the weeds, they're going to come right back. So the problem is that they're able to outcompete your grass in that in that area because of whatever conditions are present. Probably it's because it's a shady spot or maybe the soil is compacted um, or maybe it's a high traffic area and the grass species that you're growing can't can't deal with that foot traffic. So you need to kind of address the situation for why do you have these weeds? What what is allowing them to prosper where that where your grass does not? Um, so that's that's kind of the way that you want to approach it as opposed to killing the weeds outright. Um, so killing the weed is only half the battle. It is half the battle. It maybe even less. That that's really smart. I guess I didn't really think about that. When I read your question, Shanna, I thought um, I use boiling water. A lot of times I'll just take the tea kettle, boil it and take it out and dump it on weeds growing out of the cracks in my sidewalk. And it cooks the weed and kills it all the way down through the roots. Um, And even in my lawn, sometimes if I have, you know, taproot style weeds, I will pour a bunch of boiling water on it. It'll kill the weed. It's also going to kill the grass right there. So you're going to have to reseed it or you're going to have to stick a little compost on it and let the rest of the grass grow around it. But I guess adding a little compost is addressing the soil in that one spot 
Mm-hmm. Kind of like Dan was talking about. Um, there's a lot of voodoo nonsense BS on Pinterest. Like, oh, try this Epsom salt and this apple cider vinegar and it's going to solve all your problems. And if you massage this weed with coconut oil, it's totally... Just hey, gonna- that works. That works. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I imagine that David Wolf guy around your face right then, like, oh just float around saying that BS. He's such a hack. Oh my God, he's so dumb. I'm um, sure everything on Pinterest is solved between apple cider vinegar and coconut oil. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for the two factions to go out war with each other. <laughs> I have to say, I love Pinterest for ideas around plant combinations and, you know, like cool planters to make and fun things you can do with, you know, concrete. But don't take gardening advice from random places that say baking soda is going to fix your life. Um, so when it comes to uh, your vegetable garden, because I think Shanna has a pretty darn big vegetable garden, nothing's going to beat just going outside and weeding. And if you yeah. have some kind of compost or mulch, it's going to make the weeds come out much easier. So you're going to spend less yep. time pulling weeds. Mulch, but, mulch also helps uh, keep moisture in the soil, too. So it's a it water-wise way. helps your vegetables. So... Uh, don't trust Pinterest. Use mulch and compost when you can. Uh, use boiling water for areas where there's no other plants to kill. And make sure that the soil you're trying to grow stuff in is a good environment for the plants you're trying to grow. Heck yeah. Do we wrap that up? I think we got that one. Okay, cool. We have one final question. Molly asks, how do I achieve a balcony garden for the botanically challenged? <laughs> That's a great question, Molly. <laughs> That's how Dan's going to answer every question. That's a great question. So, <laughs> and I said, Molly, that is so simple. Plastic. <laughs> just get plastic stuff and it will look great forever. No, I'm just kidding. So, you know, I most of my gardening that I do is on my balcony. So I use five-gallon buckets. You need a good vessel if you've just got a balcony. So depending on how big your balcony is, if you can get like a five-gallon bucket or if you have like one-gallon buckets a or if you of, have... A couple of big-ass planters. Big, big-ass planters. Maybe a flower box. Get, some, get a couple of containers um, and get some... Uh, flowers. Just go buy some flowers, stick them in there, and uh, and you're pretty much good to go. You want to make sure you're uh, you're paying attention to what what sort of a site you're in. So, do you get more sun? Do you get more shade? You want to want to pay attention to that. But um, apart from that, it, you can grow anything in a container that you can grow in the ground. So, if you want flowers, get flowers. If you want vegetables grow vegetables you know look up some if you want both there's no rule that says you can't grow both absolutely in the same absolutely but i say you can't don't do it <laughs> randy One, you're not my boss that's fair you're One, not my mother <laughs> you're my boss type of thing. <laughs> uh i would also uh molly if you're looking for molly Molly. I'm looking if you're for, looking for Molly. I'm looking for Molly. Molly. <laughs> 
Someone hates us somewhere. What an unfortunate name. (laughs) No, no, but if you're growing vegetables in containers, look up square foot gardening. It'll give you a lot of tips on like how many to put in a in a pot or something like that. Um, It's it's really helpful information to use. I was thinking, okay, Molly, does she want to grow food or does she want to grow plants? And I also thought Mm. you got to kind of know what kind of balcony. Yeah. Like, are you on a a hot sunny side or are you on a shady side that uh, is cool? I don't know. So my couple of suggestions that were more about um, having cool plants around you, not necessarily that you can eat. Um, You can always try a bunch of herbs because herbs are pretty tough plants that kind of taste better, actually, when they get a little of neglect and abuse in that way. Um, But if you're on the sunny side, go for some cool grasses, like grab some sweet potato vines to spill out the side, some cool grasses to be your thriller. Trailing stuff is a a winner on the balcony. And then try some bright and sunny annuals. If they ever start to look like crap, pull them out and buy new ones. It's okay. Like, you buy yourself a bouquet of flowers that lasts like three or four days. You buy yourself a couple of packs of annuals to stick on your balcony. Like, they're going to last a few weeks at least. And if they die, it's okay. It is okay to kill plants. It, it is okay to kill plants. It happens to everybody. Like, nobody is perfect and a saint when it comes to plants. So, try a few things out. I kill them every day. It's, <laughs> that might be a problem, though. I don't know. <laughs> well, we are omnivores, so we eat a lot of that stuff. Um, if you're on the shady side of things, uh, I would look for there's some really great varieties of coleus that have really colorful leaves to add a lot of interest to your big buckets, your big ass buckets. Big buckets. Um, you can plant things like heucheras, which are also called uh, coral bells and foamy bells. They come in all different kinds of leaf colors and uh, hostas. Even though hostas and heucheras are perennial plants, they're going to die in your bucket, but you're going to enjoy them all summer. So if they're $5 and that's kind of an expensive plant, who cares if you love it all summer and it looks good all summer? Um, there's a <laughs> Who cares? You can kill plants. That's Okay. Um, Also, look at some hanging baskets, which are really great for patios and maybe some vertical gardens. I've seen some crazy stuff with pallets, pallet gardens that lean up against your wall to kind of maximize your space since you're on a little patio balcony. You know, one danger that I will say about container gardening is a lot of people will get a container that they really like and they'll put, you know, whatever, they'll put something in it. But the pot, if it doesn't have holes on the bottom, like drainage holes, in the bottom of the pot, it's just going to the water's going to fill up in there and the roots of your plants are going to rot. You make rotten soup. Yep. So, so absolutely have to have drainage holes in the bottom. That's and when a really you water you want to water until it's coming out the bottom. You want it to go all the way through. All the soil inside that pot needs to be watered. Right. So how can you tell when your planter needs to be watered, whether it's on the ground or on your balcony? How can you tell? Take a look at the soil. Stick your finger in it. That's what I always do. Stick your finger up in there. Stick stick a finger in it. Do what your mom didn't tell you to do. (laughs) (laughs) 
if it's dry, you need to water. <laughs> um, especially to everybody in this area. Sometimes we get days that are over 100 degrees. Water everything yeah. in your yard like yeah. crazy and drink beer on those days. Um, it's very important. You can tell a lot of times, you know, if a plant starts kind of drooping and looking sad, you can tell that that really needs water. But you don't want to let your plants get to that state more than a couple of times because they're going to be uh, pretty peeved and they'll probably throw in the towel before too long. So Just do your best. This is all a grand experiment. Um, so, yeah, those are all the questions that we had. I hope we addressed most of them. Um, coming up this week on the blog, we are going to have, I have a post on uh, getting kids into gardening. Uh, Dan's got a post on plotting your plot. Um and we'll see if we can get some recipes on just basic, simple syruping uh, instructions from Miss Nikki over here. And, yeah, thanks for listening to us. Do you want to give us some, some credits over there, Mr. Randy? I will gladly give you some credits over here. All the credit is mine. Uh, <laughs> but before I do, do you guys have anywhere public on the Internet you'd like to tell people where they can find you specifically as individuals? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I have you can contact me through the Facebook. Facebooks. We have a Facebook Verdant North page. We also have verdantnorth.net where you can find our blog posts as well as links to our podcast. Um, we have an email. Well, I was just asking for your personal, if you had a Twitter or that. But, not, you know. I'm not on Tinder. Sorry, Okay, not, no, you can swipe left. I don't know what that means. You can swipe yourself. Like, I'm not interested. All right. Well, our conclusions here. Uh, thank you for listening to Verdant North. As she said, you can find our blog posts online at verdantnorth.net. Find us on Facebook, Twitter. Email us at verdantnorthteam.gmail.com. Listen to us at these places. Uh, you're going to find us on Google Play, iTunes. You're going to find us on Stitcher. You're going to find us on Podbean. We're going to be about everywhere you don't you don't expect us to be, but we're going to be there. And also, a uh, big special thanks to uh, Brie Edisted. Is that how you pronounce it? Am I saying that right? That is, that is how you pronounce it. Good job. Awesome. Thank you. For working on artwork, you can view Brie's artwork on Instagram at blank. I'm not sure you can fill that in for me. I will have to post that on Facebook. Oops. It's like wow. Edisted. You know, I'll put some links to Brie's artwork. But you can commission her to do some sweet uh, artwork on Instagram. Um, and also, hey, special thanks to... Uh, my friends, my friends, uh, Prozac Rat and Volcanus, uh, <laughs> Minneapolis band Volcanus allowed us to use their tunes and they have this hilarious video blog project on YouTube. You can listen to them and their arch rival band Prozac Rat on Bandcamp, uh, YouTube and find them on Facebook. And otherwise, uh, thanks everyone. Cheers. And what's that line again that we, it's okay to kill plants kill them all <laughs> just Wait, give it a shot just a little bit not all okay submit your questions online and thanks for listening